Welcome back, everybody, to In The Loop. What is up, everybody? My name is Michael Burpo. Thanks again for listening to In The Loop. This week, I have something slightly different. It's a compilation episode of a series of five different interviews with our sponsors for the Punchmark Client Workshop uh, that we just recently had in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I interviewed National Rarities, Classic Grown Diamonds, Client Book, Inox, and Edge Retail Academy, all about topics that they're experts in and that I see them as jewelry industry leaders, and I wanted them to kind of talk about what's important to them right now. So you're going to get five different kind of overviews on some important topics, and if you're interested in any of them specifically, you can always reach out to them and talk to them further. But I hope you enjoy. I got a chance to speak with them in person, so these episodes might have a little bit of scuffed audio, but we try our best. So bear with us, and we'll be back to regularly scheduled programming next week. All right, thanks everybody, and enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Punchmark, the jewelry industry's favorite website platform. Whether you're looking for better e-commerce performance, business growth, or campaigns that drive traffic and sales, Punchmark's website and marketing services were made just for you. It's never too late to transform your business with a user-friendly, point-of-sale integrated website platform designed for growth and results. Sign up for your free demo today at punchmark.com. While you're enjoying this week's episode, take a moment and leave us a star rating on the Spotify mobile app. Or if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a star rating and a review. It's the best way to help us grow and to show that you're really enjoying the show. Thanks. And now, back to the show. This interview is with Ryan Blumenthal from ClientBook. All right, everybody. I'm joined by Ryan from Client Book. How are you doing today, Ryan? Good, man. Nice to be here. Yeah. So returning guest, very exciting. And we're at the uh, at the workshop, and uh, you're going to be presenting in just a little bit of time. Um, what are you going to be presenting on? So we're going to present today um, clienteling in 2023. Um, how you can leverage technology yeah. to better work through the friction that we run into mm-hmm. um, as store owners when we look to implement that and get it done every day and and really just how there's a lot of different areas that you could focus on in today's retail, but if you're not focused here, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. Yeah. So can you kind of maybe just dive a little bit more into like what is clienteling? Because we did an episode on it and it seems like it's a lot of different things kind of wrapped into one, which is making a, a customer a client. Um, can you kind of put it into how client book views it? Yeah, I mean, you know, the art of clienteling is really personalized relationship selling. Okay. So relationship selling. I like yeah, that. it's in and that term I, I, I like it and I don't like it at the same time because it's not like we're trying to create like a lifelong friendship with, yeah. with a customer per se, right? But we are trying to establish that we are, you know, a profession, uh, a professional that they could rely on um, for a certain category. Mm-hmm. So in our case, jewelry, we've, we, we're, we can do a handful of things to cement a relationship with that customer that when they are in the market for jewelry, we're their guy, so to speak. Yeah. Right. Or if they're in the dinner conversation and the subject comes up, they naturally think of us because we've gone above and beyond to service them, to follow up with them, all these different things that as a retailer, we know will increase the likelihood of the repeat business or lifetime value of a customer. There's a couple different, you know, phrases that you could use to, um, to, to encapsulate that. Yeah. We had just done an episode, um, from this recording, I think it was about two episodes ago. That was about the, um, the marketing funnel and the marketing funnel where there's awareness. It's like, you know, un, unfiltered prospects and then to comparison and then finally through the, um, the actual transaction. But the one that we kind of don't touch on the most is loyalty because a lot of times people are just so pleased with getting that, that first sale or that sale that they kind of are like, all right, that's, we, we did the thing. But a lot of, for you guys, it seems like there's actually more to it than just getting getting the sale. There's there's the follow through as well. Yeah, I mean, if you could think about if you're a store owner listening to this, how much work goes into acquiring a new customer? Mm. 
you have a storefront you're paying for, you have employees, you have the billboards, the radio, the, you know, probably 5%, somewhere between three and 5% of revenue you're dedicating towards your marketing resources, oh. all in an effort to get people through the door, especially people who haven't had um, been there before. You know, you, that's called your new kind of customer acquisition costs. Yes. And if all you ever did was that, it is a really poor ROI when you run the numbers. Mm. Now, what you should be thinking is, if I got them through the door once, what are the systems that I have set up in the store that the likelihood that they come back is very, very good? Yeah. And I think most stores likely think that, well, we're going to provide a great experience, and that experience that they have will, will get them to come back. And that's partly true. There's just a lot more that you can do that would ensure the likelihood of them coming back. Yeah. And Ryan, now, correct me if I'm wrong, you um, were a, a retail jeweler. Still am. Still are. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so you've probably seen the entire kind of life cycle of what clienteling was. And then now with ClientBook, what it is today, um, what, first of all, what did you guys used to do for clienteling? Or was it just that no one did anything and that was kind of like where yeah, the line was drawn? No, I mean, I, I feel like I knew what clienteling was as uh, a very young person in this industry growing up um, through my parents who, you know, it was, it was taught to me that you take care of your customers and they come back and the high level of service we provide is kind of the hallmark of our brand at Corinne Jewelers. That's the name of my store. Mm. And so we always aspire to do clienteling activities um, that, Interesting. that would that would create people coming back over and over. I think what the frustration or the the opportunity um, of using ClientBook and me getting involved in ClientBook when they were first coming to market was I always found there was a level of inconsistency oh. with how often I would do that. It's a lot of work, man. <laughs> it's a lot of work to clientele. And that's a lot in my presentation today is, hey, sounds good, really hard to do uh -huh. without technology. Because when you start thinking about, well, there's a couple thousand people that come through the door uh, in a given year and I want to service them, I want to follow up after the sale, I want to give them that kind of service. What you typically find is that you're only doing it some of the time. Yeah. And kind of picking and choosing when that great experience happens with your customer. And I felt that was truly limiting even before I met um, the, the founders of Book. I, I was kind of searching for, I need to scale this. I think if I scaled this, I could do really well at my store and it would probably cost a fraction of what yeah. traditional marketing means um, would give me. I think that's the number one thing I've learned from working in uh, working at Punchmark about related to operations and systems um, at Punchmark. That's kind of what I primarily focus on uh, is anytime there is a manual step in any process, um, like, you know, someone has to pull a lever or, or take an, an action, um, it almost immediately makes it unscalable uh, because as soon as you get outside of, uh, I don't know what the number is, but like 25, um, that action becomes absolutely un unmanageable and someone's entire job is going to be dedicated to just pulling that singular lever. And it's like, you need to go around the manual action, no, as tempting as it is in the short term, to make things scalable and actually a, a long-term fit for your company. Sounds like that's what Client Book does. 100%. I mean, the, if you could just think about, you know, these great technologies that we all use, the ones that we love eliminate as much friction out of our lives as possible, yeah. right? It's just the famous Apple, it just works. It just you know? works. <laughs> just works. You know, that's what we all aspire to. And, yeah. and client book, I'd like to think that every year, that's what we're trying to move towards yeah. of removing that friction. It just works. How do we get these interactions to be happening every day inside stores? And, and that's what we're dedicated to. Mm. Well, it's been fantastic, uh, you know, following along with client book. I think it's one of those things that I think really... Uh, elevates our stores and in the end I just want our, our stores to be like crushing it and make a million dollar gajillion dollars and um, it sounds like client book is one of those pieces um, I guess to wrap this up how has the the workshop been for you so far workshops great I love coming to one I love that Punchmark does this for their clients I think training is such a positive 
zone for a retailer. Yeah. A lot of times where myself included, you're really in your store, you're in the four walls of your store and you don't get the same perspective as when you go to a conference and you learn from your peers and you hear some speakers and it, it makes a difference. So uh, I, I like to go to these educational conferences um, as much as I can. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think um, education is one of those things It really in the short term, it can be very tempting to be like, ah, oh, I should waste the time. You know, I need to be there. I need you know? to be at my store. I have yeah. to be doing it. But it's like, <laughs> honestly, it's it's the networking, but also just learning how to do things maybe differently or just more scalably. Um, but also just like, I think a little bit of an inspiration is a good thing too. Um, you know, that does go a long way. Having motivation to just like, Hey man, 365 days a year, that is a lot of days. And like, you know, having a little bit of pep in your step for maybe, you know, a third of that more, you know, all the way. So I think it's you're totally right. Necessary. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for your time. Um, I appreciate you coming on. I can't wait to hear your presentation. And uh, everybody, thanks for listening. This next interview is with Scott and Matt from Classic Grown Diamonds. Welcome back, everybody. My name is Michael Burpo, and I'm joined by Matt and Scott from Classic Grown Diamonds. How are you guys doing today? Good. Well, thank well. you. We just had this conversation about one second ago when we did the intro for it. But uh, so you guys are doing Classic Grown Diamonds. So these are, do you guys not prefer the term Lab Grown Diamonds, or do you just prefer to call it Classic Grown, or how do you guys kind of refer to it in-house? Yeah, we, we call them Lab Grown Diamonds. Mm -hmm. um, Classic Grown is our brand, if you will, but we're really more of a non-brand type of company we produce uh custom design as well a full line of jewelry um as well as our loose diamonds so it's um uh, yeah loose diamonds were was our first business mm -hmm. um they've been cutting diamonds for 40 years and seven years ago switched over to all lab grown um started growing and cutting lab grown about seven years ago we don't do anything any business in the natural diamond world mm -hmm. now um and then Two, three years ago, we started uh, a large line of jewelry, and it's ever-growing. Um, so we have everything from your basic studs and tennis bracelets up to fancy, large certified engagement rings ready to go. Um, and we do a lot of custom business as well. Wow. We, we, we know that, um, that, you know, the diamond prices are dropping on the loose goods. Sure. But the one thing that we do for our, our best customers that are continually buying from us, if they're on memo, we will re-memo them at the current market value. And we even uh, do stock balancing and take back some of the higher priced goods. As long as you're ordering all the time and staying in business, uh, keeping us in business, um, we're going to take care of you. Yeah. So uh, I just had a customer the other day call, and uh, they have a two, a four carat total weight studs that they've had since June. So obviously those prices have gone way down. So they're massive. Yeah. So we're we'll take them back and uh -huh. stock balance them. I mean they do over a hundred thousand dollars a year with us. So I mean we're going to take care of them. Yeah. So when it comes to uh, it's not super common for a lab grown company to be making their own jewelry as well. What was kind of the thought process behind uh, making your own jewelry line as in addition to just growing your own diamonds? Um, was it to see if you can get into the store to provide a more, I don't know, is that more stable kind vertical. of vertical? Yeah, we okay. want to be vertical. Yeah, we do everything. I mean, they've, they've been making jewelry for the India market for years oh, and years. So okay. To make it for the American market, that's why they brought uh, me on board to handle the jewelry. Are lab grown, lab grown popular in India? They have become that. Wow, I had no idea. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, wow. And um, I guess one thing I'm curious about is I'd spoken with a couple of people about lab grown jewelry, and you guys have your own in line, but also I'm sure you guys have, have loose as well. Uh, is I've, I've heard that it's kind of hard to get melee in uh, lab grown. Um, it's not as uh, common as like the, the more popular center stones. So having an entirely lab grown um, ring with like, a, for example, a pave setting, all lab grown, isn't as common in the market. Is that something you guys do with your own line? Yes, we do. Um, we go from one pointers to wow, okay. 15 carat center wow. stones. Wow. Um, we have a whole list of melee. Um, we keep all our melee in India, um, so we order it in. We try and do it per carat, but if somebody gives me a layout, we'll do that too. Cool. Um, and all of our stones and any of our jewelry is all lab grown. We don't use any naturals. 
There that's, it is. that's the advantage of being a, a grower and a cutter. We can uh, cut according to demand. And we do, um, we have a whole price sheet of all the mash uh, pairs for trapezoids, half moons, uh, trillions, whatever shape oh, you cool. want. We custom cut as well as uh, custom design the jewelry. Wow, that's like a that's a fantastic operation. That's super cool. Now, can you kind of this is purely for my interest? Um, can you kind of explain the the two different processes of um, growing a lab grown diamond? Um, is that something you can kind of give me an overview on? I know it's something our listeners are probably aware of, but maybe just for myself. Well, HPHT stands for high pressure, high temperature, mm-hmm. and I believe that was the first process that was out, and it's a huge huge machine to take up a whole room and it's just it recreates what happens in the earth with the pressure and the temperature and then they came out with what's called chemical vapor deposition and that is more like a microwave type unit if you will sure where they pump different types of gases in there to grow the diamond interesting and is there like is it like a chemical reaction after that or how does that work out i guess i i'm so okay you know what i it's so above me that i'm i'm fascinated because I know that you can make extremely large uh, diamonds off of it, but I'm more interested in like the ones that are completely indistinguishable from from a mined diamond. Um, it seems like they're getting better and better every single day, and that you can't even can't even um, tell the difference yeah. outside of a loop or yeah, even, even in a loop. With a loop, yeah. No, there's yeah. A, there's a machine. Uh, you have to have a, the newest technology in the machines. I always forget the name of those. Yehuda makes them. Yeah. The, Sherlock. Yes. Oh, cool! And it measures um, it measures the gases in the diamond. So even professionals at GIA and IGI and mm-hmm. whoever is, you know, they are indistinguishable. Yeah, you, know, you have to check for the nitrogen and stuff. Oh, interesting. I guess I was wondering what the like the actual differentiating yeah, thing is. Nitrogen naturally occurring in the ground versus when we grow them above Earth, there is no nitrogen and stuff. I so see. That's what the machines are checking for. Very cool. So you guys are going to be presenting at the workshop in uh, just a little bit. And what kind of topics are you guys going to be presenting? Is it more about your guys' individual uh, jewelry lines or is it about just lab grown diamonds in, in general? We typically like to do, you know, question and answer. There's so much information online. Out so there. much. Yeah. And these stores are, you know, some of the stores, like when we talked to one store last night or two nights ago, and she says they're not going to do lab grown. They don't do lab grown. Hmm. They'll never do lab grown. And that is perfectly fine with us. There's so much low-hanging fruit out there. But yeah. We, so I uh, taught my son or said to my son right at the very beginning when he came on board was we never try to sell anybody on the concept of lab-grown diamonds. Huh, really interesting. Just say, good luck. If you ever have a call for it, here's our card. And just and let it go. Leave it, wow. Let it go. Do you find that it's because they are uh, sometimes – some people are very passionate about one side or the other. Yes. Um, I've always just found that increasingly, it seems like people just stock some of both because whether, um, you know, if someone comes in and you only have lab grown and uh, they want a natural, then you wouldn't be able to service them and vice versa. If they want, they come in and they want a lab grown and you don't have any, it seems like you're kind of leaving money on the table if you don't service at least both ends of the market. But Yes, there's, that's what I tell people. You might as well not send them down the road. So here's a card. Call us when you have a call. And yeah, we'll send you the stones and take care of the customer. And what do you think that? Do you find that the adoption for um, lab grown is increasing every year? Yes. Oh, definitely. And we just uh, talked to a, a store owner that has a has Rolex, mm-hmm. and some of the higher end stores can be a little bit more stuffy or not accepting to the lab grown. But she says she's selling lab grown like crazy. Mm. She's a Rolex store, so. Um, and all, I believe, almost all of the stores sell lab grown to some extent. They might not stock it, mm-hmm. but if the customer's in asking for it, they'll get it in on a call. Now, what about lab growns for things other than diamonds? Um, do you find that there's going to be an emerging market, for example, for um, other precious precious stones? Do you find that that's like the future trajectory of the market? Or do you find that it'll stay around diamonds because you know, diamonds are like the king. Well, ruby, emerald, sapphire came out quite a few years ago. Okay. Yeah, so they've, uh, Chatham actually has been doing, uh, created ruby, emerald, sapphire probably since the 90s for sure. Oh. And so that was a, a simpler process, but they don't look necessarily as good or as the same as 
the comparison of a diamond okay. to a diamond mm -hmm. versus an emerald versus an emerald. Gotcha, gotcha. We get a lot of a lot of colored diamond requests. That's a big that's interesting. A, we we don't specialize in it. Um, we have some colored stones, but that's not our specialty. Uh, but yeah, that's a that's a pretty large market in the in the lab grown world right now is the color diamonds. Yeah, because I mean, you can get. I guess it's pretty much to to order as as far as you know, kind of if you have something interesting that you want. The reason we don't do much in it is because it's very unrepeatable. Yeah, ah, it's not controllable so in the color, the shades, the the shapes. It's a crapshoot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So uh, you guys are going to be presenting in just a little bit. Um, how has the workshop been for you guys so far? Good, great, yeah, yeah. nice, yeah. good stuff. And we love Punch Mark, and hey. uh, we have all of our diamond inventory up on uh, uh, Punch Mark for all the retailers, and we are just uh, um, entering in all the things for our jewelry line too. I don't think there's anybody out there with Punch Mark now that has jewelry and lab grown, so we're excited about nice. that. We just brought a, a new employee on to, to get us there. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, you'll be working with uh, with Kimberly, and you guys actually were um, one of our first sponsors for the uh, for the Vendor Vault, our publication. Um, so, really excited for that. It's one of my favorite projects that I've been working on. Um, guys, Scott, Matt, thank you guys so much for your time. I'm really excited. I love the the future of the live room market. I think uh, uh, it's definitely going to be something I'm paying attention to quite a bit. Um, but I appreciate you guys having the the time to to speak with me. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the time. Cheers, guys. This next interview is with Stephen Barnes from Edge Retail Academy. Welcome back, everybody. I'm joined by Stephen Barnes from Edge Retail Academy. How are you doing today, Stephen? I am fantastic. Great to be here. Very good. So we're at the Punch Bar Client Workshop in Charlotte, North Carolina. Stephen is going to be presenting in an undisclosed amount of time. And uh, I wanted to get a chance to get a, uh, to sit down with you. You were... You were one of our most popular episodes from uh, last season. Very, very, still to this day, people are still listening to it all the time. It's actually one of those um, evergreen episodes that really has like a long shelf life on it. Um, I feel like because people are retiring all the time and people are starting up and handing it down, I feel like the topic we had talked about um, succession and retirement planning. And it's, I mean, I really enjoyed it because it's something I don't know very much about, um, something you, very close to your heart. What is your relationship with it again, if you don't mind just kind of overviewing it? Sure, absolutely. So, um, of course, I'm going to get into in just a little bit what the Edge Retail Academy is all about. But one of my main roles as a business advisor there at the Edge Retail Academy is helping clients through succession and transition, um, whether they're in their 20s or whether they're in their 80s. Um, it's a matter of just planning. Uh, you can't just, just wake up one morning and decide you're going to retire. Uh, you know, it's, it has to have some thought and process put behind it. And uh, the sooner the better on that. And so that's one of the specialties there that, that I do with the Edge Retail Academy is help clients do that. That's very cool. And when we had talked before, we had uh, mentioned a couple of um, <laughs> different instances of like people having, for example, um, two ch children that each of them had like a claim for the claim for the throne sort of thing. At the time, I was watching a lot of House of Dragons, so I felt like it was very topical. Um, so you're going to be presenting on uh, this topic uh, today for our clients? Yep, a little bit. Um, more or less just kind of exposing everyone to what all the Edge Retail Academy is, what we do, because um, a lot of people don't know exactly what we do. You know, the, the Edge software is, uh, is the software, but we are an actual sister company to the Edge software. The, we are the Edge Retail Academy. We're actually the business, what we call the business arm of the academy or of the software, um, where um, we're not only just consultants and a data company, um, we do a lot of other things. Um, we, we are actually one of the most uh, widely used consulting firms in the jewelry industry, and we are the largest aggregator of sell-through data. And people ask all the time, well, why is that important? Well, First and foremost, I'll just say, you know, as data helps us run our businesses better, mm. especially not only understanding what our own personal data is, but being able to compare ourselves and benchmark ourselves against others in the industry. Uh, we aggregate over $3 billion worth of wow. uh, jewelry um, from over 1,200 stores. So uh, so when you have that kind of data, um, it, it's all factual. This is not just an opinion. This is yeah. actual factual data of what we're able to pull from our industry, which is huge for helping our uh, consulting side with, with our clients. And what I think is the most interesting is that um, in, in a way I sort of see um, – 
Edge Retail Academy and uh, Punchmark and The Edge and all of all the people that are hyper uh, that are here um, as very similar in that we are industry specific. It's not that we're, um, I like to say like there's generic brands and then there's industry specific and Punchmark, the reason why I've, I'm very, I'm trying to come forward with a lot of statistics and a lot of, and speak very authoritatively is because we are one of the only people besides you guys that are like actually tracking data, uh, in only in the jewelry industry. We're not, we're not tracking pocketbook sales. We are looking specifically at, um, you know, what is the, the average transaction size for the jewelry industry? And we can see over the past, you know, one year that it continues to grow. And over the last four years that it continues to grow. And I think that a lot of people, they, um, I don't know, they kind of wash it together with a lot of industries. And like, maybe that doesn't tell the entire truth. That absolutely. We, and we find that out also, you know, one of the things that, that our clients love about us is this, we're, we're very well-rounded. So when we think about our team of advisors um, and, and everything, we are truly industry experts. We come from all different backgrounds um, from, you know, we've got store owners that are current store owners. Um, we have people who were previous store owners. We've got, you know, regional and district managers. Um, we've got people from all over our industry that are just true experts from financials to inventory management management to recruiting and hiring. So we kind of succession are and succession and retirement. Yeah. So when I say we take a very holistic approach to, to what we do, um, we treat your business like it's ours. So we, when we start consulting with clients, we first all find out what's most important and what, what areas we need to work on with you. That very well may be financials. Um, it may mm. be financial um, analysis. It may be actual business acumen, maybe improving your business acumen. It may be, you know, your inventory management. Maybe you've got a, a terrible inventory with all aged inventory. We, we can work through some of that. Um, maybe it's you need to help grow in your sales. Maybe you need help with hiring new uh, employees or whatever. So it literally is all encompassing in what we are able to do here at the Edge Retail Academy as a consulting firm. And with your background, you are, you know, I think you owned a store or you were the, the son of a, of a store owner, yep. owned a store, now absentee owner, now consulting on uh, succession and retirement. Um, so you definitely very steeped in the, in the industry. I guess I kind of, one of the things I'm very interested about is, um, is, uh, are the things that you're teaching focused more over time? Like, or so to phrase it a different way are, is, um, you know, inventory management, is that like one year in particular that was like really popular or is it like all these topics are equally important across all the years? So I think for a business to be successful, you have to really have an understanding of all of the, all of those things. Mm. Um, and you know, a lot of people come to us and they've got a great inventory. They've got a great inventory management system in place. They've got, you know, they, they know how to do that. They know how to read their financials, but maybe they're having a really difficult time of motivating their staff on how to make sales and grow sales. Once again, putting some some things in place like performance pay and things like that we're able to help that company continue to grow so i would say that there's 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 no one size fits all. Um, and that's why I love the fact that we're very well rounded as a team. And between all of the business advisors, we do shift around. So I know that if I have a client that I'm working with on succession that really needs some help with say inventory management, we bring in another one of our business advisors on our team. We work with them for three, six, nine months, whatever it takes to get that inventory uh, corrected out, um, and on the right path. And then we shift possibly to something else that might need help with recruiting. Maybe they've lost a manager and need to find a new manager for their store. Um, so we were, like I said, we're all very holistic approach. We want to do what's best for the client. Mm. Um, and uh, and that's what we're there for. And ultimately, the, the long vision is this. We want every store to be successful. For we sure. want every owner to feel like that they are in control of their business and not their business in control of them. And many times that's what we see, that businesses, owners just feel so uh, inundated because of all the hats they wear. Yeah. They may be the bench jeweler. They may be selling on the sales floor. They may be the marketing guy. They may be the head, you know, toilet cleaner. I mean, yeah. they're doing it all. And and so we help them try to learn how to delegate, how to pass that off. Because here's the ultimate reason. At some point in time in their life, they're going to transition out of this business. they got to rotate out. Yeah, yeah they, they're going to have to, like I said, whether that's age or health or whatever. And the, the healthier, we, healthier we can get the business to where it truly functions without that owner being so involved, 
there's lots of benefits to that. Number one, they have a very sellable business mm. potentially to someone that would want to buy it because the business truly operates without that without that owner being there. Number two, it's a very healthy business that could be potentially passed down to someone in the family because yeah. it's you know running without that owner there. Um, and then last but not least, even if it's a healthy business and there is no succession, meaning no one's there to take it over, can't really sell it, then you're in the prime position to set yourself up for a very successful going out of business or GOB sale, um, which we are seeing tremendous amount of those going on right now also. Yeah. You know, it's very interesting. It, it's um, it's kind of like we don't want to act like we're, you know, we're encouraging you to retire. But it's just interesting because you can't really work until you – I don't want to work until I die. I, I personally don't. And I think a lot of people, they are um, – especially right now, I think that the – the learning curve when it comes to um, business is just very steep, steeper than it ever has been, because I think the fact that everything is changing every single year. I mean, just uh, as recently as 10 years ago, e-commerce wasn't really a thing. As recently as 20 years ago, websites weren't really a thing, I guess, well, you know, arguable. And then uh, it, every year, over year and year, there's new tools. I mean, when did the Edge Retail Academy like even start? When did the Edge even start? And when you start looking at it like that, you can't just like, you know, teach the same things every single time to the next owner. You do kind of have to keep up with it. And I think part of that is just getting the education that you need. Absolutely. And we've seen that even um, the Edge Retail Academy has been around for a little over 15 years now. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the main goals of our owner, David Brown, is, like I said, is, is the educational piece. We are trying to teach owners to fish. We don't fish for them. Hmm. So even though we're trying to help them along, we ultimately want to 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 to, to quit holding their hand and, and let them survive on their own. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, but we do have to be aware of what's going on in our industry because even in the last three years with COVID has absolutely shocked our industry in, in a positive way. I think it put a yeah, lot of crazy, us, right? I think it put a lot of the owners in the position of, you know what, if I don't change, I won't be around in another three to five years. Right. Um, from a technology standpoint, it pushed all those owners who were lagging behind, it really pushed them over the edge to know what, I need to get a handle on this. I need to invest some time, some energy, some resources into improving my business, which is better for the client. I mean, and better for customers. And that's that's the ultimate of what we're looking at. It's so crazy. Uh, I I would never say that COVID was a positive thing, but it did have a lot of um, lasting positive effects on, I'd imagine every industry, but one of the biggest is I, I do think that the jewelry industry was lagging behind on a lot of, uh, technological things, especially they were very tied to the in-store, the, just the, the way it's been done. And this time I really think that it's, um, uh, I mean, now that COVID is definitely in the rear view mirror, we are seeing still people that, you know, attendance for this workshop that we're at right now is actually higher than it was the year before because people are realizing that they need to, you know, buckle up and learn some things. And also uh, e-commerce sales still up and it's because people have realized that, hey, I don't have to, you know, cut off my arm in order to do these e-commerce things. I can do both. And it's just a matter of kind of adapting to it. So I definitely think you guys are right. I think what you are offering is definitely very important. So I'm really happy to have you guys here. Absolutely. Well, I'm very excited to be here and be presenting. Yeah. So maybe we'll just talk really quickly about this workshop. So client workshop, we are in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're at the uh, UNCC um, auditorium at one of the buildings. And we have, uh, I think, six uh, sponsored speakers here, as well as a bunch of people from the Punchmark team. And it's really cool. I like, I, I previously never met you in person. We had had an episode um, that we did through Zoom. But it's just, it really uh, kind of lets you see that, you know, Know, these jewelers are they are people and they're not just clients and um, it allows us to have our clients or our clients meet our team members and especially a lot of the ones that they've never like I don't think any of our clients have ever met a developer at our company but they're like some of my best friends so it'll be really cool like how has your experience been so far at the workshop I know we're just getting started sure absolutely so first and foremost um, I've always been a really big punch mark fan um, you know first and foremost I uh, personally from my jewelry store um, we were probably 
one of Ross's very first clients. I think you were client number one. Was I client number I one? Okay, so. I just remember when Ross was starting the company. Um, he and I go way back wow. at our IJO days. Um, and long story short, um, he called me up. He said, "Man, I think I'm going to do this." I said, "Man, well, if you decide to do this, I'm 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 on board. I, I, you don't even have a product yet, but I'm on board." Oh. And uh, and so I've been a really big fan of Ross and and Brian and what they're doing. Um, I know that those guys are have the best intentions and their heart is in the right place. Yeah. And I've always wanted to support that and, and promote them. And so even me coming as a business owner of whose my website is Three Punch Mark, you know, I'm I'm even learning in, in this, even though I'm presenting for, you know, the Edge Retail Academy, I'm still learning too. So it's fun to be a part of that, to meet the team. Like I said, I know I've met most of the guys here, but obviously haven't had a chance to meet in person uh, yet. But this has been fun. It's been a great experience. And I would highly encourage anybody that's on the fence of doing this, you need to ju- you need to just come because not only is it about learning about, you know, how to use your website more effectively and efficiently, man, it's the networking. You're going to meet people from all over the country. You're going to build some bonds over a couple of days. And guess what? If you've got challenges and issues, you've got somebody you can call, text, gotcha. email, and and follow up with. So it's, it's a great way of, of building that network. Very well said. I think uh, one thing that's the best about it is um, we have this cocktail hour um, tonight, and it's at a beautiful rooftop bar. But what I really like seeing is I like looking around and like being a fly on the wall and just seeing, you know, my team members speaking with clients, but also clients speaking with clients. The jewelry industry is so small, and I think it's so crazy when I find out that like this person is friends with this person or this person um, is related to this person. And what's funny is like. Sometimes tools can be hard to use or to, sometimes business is just difficult to understand. And I really enjoy, um, I think that that's what a lot of these organizations offer is that, hey, if you have a question, you can ask this question. But what is the commonality for the people that are here is that they do have one of our websites. And I think it'll allow people to, um, you know, kind of. Uh, yeah, learn a little bit deeper and get a chance to meet some people. So that's yeah, great. Absolutely. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, if people want to learn a little bit more about Edge Retail Academy, if they're listening, um, where can they go? Sure, absolutely. Our website is edgeretailacademy.com. Uh, you can go there, kind of see who we are, what we're all about. Uh, like I said, we basically are a full service consulting firm and data aggregator for our industry. Um, like I said, you can reach out to us through that or even if you wanted to email us, um, um, I'll give you two emails, Becca, B-E-C-K-A at Edge Retail Academy or Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N at Edge Retail Academy. Awesome. Stephen, thank you so much for your time. Um, we'll have to do a, a longer one of these in a little bit. I think everybody really likes uh, hearing what you have to say. Everybody, thanks. Bye. This next interview is with Cole Rowland from Inox Men's Jewelry. Okay, welcome back everybody. My name is Michael Burpo. I'm joined by Cole from Inox. How are you doing today, Cole? Fantastic. How are you, sir? Doing all right. So we're at the uh, Punchmark Client Workshop. We're going, you're uh, going to be presenting in uh, a little bit. Probably after lunch, I think. Tomorrow after Tomorrow lunch. after yes. lunch. Okay, man, you got a little bit of time. Yeah. But you know what? I appreciate you coming because you'll get the chance to... Uh, Go to the cocktail hour tonight, which would be really yeah, fun. Yeah. You know, it's never... nice to hang out with the clients and hang out with you guys and just build relationships, you know. I was going to say, um, because I consider you guys our friends. Um, of course. And you're, you know, pretty close with our director of um, digital marketing. You guys do fantasy football together. Uh-huh. And uh, do you guys have, you know, retailers that you guys are friends with? Oh, absolutely. Um, like Vincent from Arezzo, he's here. Lutons Jewelry in, in Pennsylvania, they're here as well. Um, we're very close with both of those stores, and I think he is as well. So in general, it's just nice to be able to talk to them and kind of help promote, you know, both Punchmark and Inox for, you know, their stores. Yeah, because nothing, I mean, people trust what we have to say, but they trust <laughs> what retailers have to say about us even more. Yeah, so. absolutely, yeah. So, um, what are you going to be presenting on at the at the workshop? So, um, Inox is here to kind of talk to you guys about uh, the men's jewelry buyer in 2023 and how to market better toward them. Um, because you know, it's men, it, at the end of the day, it is men's jewelry, so you have to. Um, it's 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 a long term investment when it comes to men's jewelry. So, we're trying to make sure you guys have all the assets necessary to to move the product forward, and you don't really have to uh, to worry about it too much. So what is it that people are getting wrong when it comes to marketing to men? Because I know it's, I feel like for the last, I don't know, 60, 80, 100 years, mm-hmm. it's been all about 
um, marketing towards women and then having, I guess, the man to pay. Uh, But now it's kind of shifting focus. I think that jewelry is being worn a lot. I mean, even just using myself, I am wearing three pieces of jewelry, which is (laughs) three more pieces of jewelry than I've ever worn in my entire life. Exactly, yeah. Uh, So what is it that they, uh, how is the approach changing? So in general, um, you know, the newer buyer that we spoke about last year, the new bridal buyer, you know, Mm -hmm. the person who comes in and they get, they get comfortable with your store um, and then they keep coming back to your store. Um, so we're starting to see people really understand what needs to be pushed in their store. And we're getting a lot of feedback from customers and how how what we're doing is making them you know better in general. So we're working on making sure you're using the men's marketing yearly and it's not necessarily waiting for, you know, October right before Christmas. And it's Mm. like, Oh, men's jewelry. Like we need to make sure we market for it. Like we have the assets to use year round, you know, so we want to make sure that you guys are, are focusing on, you know, dads, grads and groomsmen season. It's that middle of the summer push that jewelry stores are kind of in limbo between, you know, all the holidays and don't really have anything to focus on men's jewelry. uh, You know, you can focus on that with Inox just by, Using the assets that we provide for you guys. So you say assets. Um, what does that come in the form of? Is that um, like photography? Is oh, that on hand models or models? or It's, it's everything. Um, so we do Duratrans for your store. We do counter cards. We do cert- certificates of authenticity. We do a bunch of different stuff um, to make sure you have what you need for your store. Um, we also you know, supply all the displays so the marketing is there just by having the display. Um, we also give you Dropbox links of live images, um, style shots, whatever you need. It's all available and it's updated every single month based on new shots we take and new product we come out with. So it's all gonna be there for you guys. You just have to have to click on the Punchmark link. Nice, I love it. Um, I guess one thing I'm curious about is the trends for like a, a shopper that comes into a retail store, buys, uh, let's just say like a, a chain. Um, they buy a chain uh, that's Inox. They they wear that. What is the subsequent transactions looking like? Do you find that it's very common that men will go buy for themselves and then come back and buy more for themselves, or do you find that they make that jump and they like make that connection to the retailer and then buy from them again? What does it typically look like? So Inox is a little bit different because the price points, um, you know, an impulse buy price points so is sure. a little bit lower. Um, so obviously, when someone comes in, it's usually not just one purchase, um, you know, because you can buy a chain and you can layer it with another chain, which is a trend in the industry. So you're getting one to two, maybe even three purchases in one customer, and then they come back and they start to see and they start to like Inox and maybe even other men's jewelry brands. You know, it's not just all about us. So a rising tide lifts all boats. We want to make okay. sure that, you know, we want all men's jewelry to be to be out there too because, yes, men are important as well. So we got to make sure that they have all the trends out there that we can we can help them with. Hmm. Yeah, and I guess I'm very interested in um, – and what's what's common, right? Or like what's popular right now? Sure. I mean, I'm wearing. I'm sure like the most uh, unoriginal kind of ideas. I'm wearing a, a Cuban link bracelet and a signet ring. Um, what is popular for men to be buying right now? So, I mean, you you call it unpopular, but it is very popular. Yeah, yeah. Like, what, the, the, I'm the most popular. I'm, right. I'm going after it. <laughs> yeah. So, like the Cuban link is 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 big right now in chains, and it's never going to go away. I mean, if you've watched a, a baseball game recently, yeah, every single guy. It's got a chain on, you know, and it might be a Cuban link, but a majority of the time we're working toward making sure that, you know, you have a different style of jewelry that you can, you can focus on, you know, and it's not necessarily just the Cuban link or the signet ring. You have, you know, your minimalist jewelry that's a little bit smaller in size sure. um, that we focused on a lot recently. Um, but uh, the, the thing about men's jewelry is that there's not a drastic change in, in trends. It stays pretty streamlined for at least two to three years before you should we really see another ev- evolution of the next style. Yeah. And that's what we've been seeing, at least with Inox. Speaking of the evolution of the next style, um, when I spoke with you guys in RJO, you guys had come out with a totally iced out Cuban Cuban link uh, uh-huh. necklace. I'm so excited about it. Yeah. yeah. I, it was all Steve Bass wanted to talk about. I uh, thought it was epic. Oh, yeah. Um, any takers on that one? What do you think? So not the full lab-grown Cuban yet. Um, we do have a, you know, we have a, a different style of it. Um, that's just a single clasp that's lab grown and that's done really well for us. Cool. Um, when it comes to men, our, our price point, it's it's not that's not an impulse buy price point. When you're buying lab grown, yeah, it's more so it's a little bit different. Um, but that's the thing is like when men's trends hit, they take a little bit to expand because guys are still a little bit hesitant for jewelry. But we're seeing the growth from you know millennials and things like that that are starting to allow it to be in trend. You know, mm-hmm. we don't 
we don't we, we try to we try to push that forward because we want to make sure that the next generation of men's buyers aren't going to be suppressed by the trends in the industry right now. Yeah. And so one thing I'm also curious about is um, trends in different regions. Sure. So uh, I want to say middle of last season, I interviewed Amanda from Nelson's Jewelers, I believe is, uh-huh. uh, is the name. And they are fantastic. I nice client. One yes. of your guys' clients. Yes. Yeah. And uh, she talked about how they are in a little bit more of a blue collar um uh, oh, yeah. I guess city town kind of thing. And they, uh, she was talking about how she can predict the trends based on like how the good weather, the growing right? season yeah. was, which it's I think was the most craziest thing ever. And also, um, she was just talking about how it's like, it's, it's about how you market it and how it like, how it, how it, tends to need to be spoken about a slightly different way than about, you know, engagement rings. Sure. Um, what is it that you see in like the regionality of things? Like, do you see like something, are you guys doing better in, you know, the more blue collar areas or is it truly a national brand? It's, I mean, at this point in time, like when I first started with Inox, we were very, very East coast based, but we've grown to the point now where, I mean, we're getting customers in Iowa, we're we're getting customers in in Oregon, we're getting customers in San Diego. We're all over the place because it's a, it's a, it's a brand that's very versatile. You know, there's 2,500 SKUs in the line. So it goes all the way from your basic leather bracelet all the way up to, you know, a meteorite, um, what wedding band. So yeah. like you have a bunch of different options. So it's kind of hard for us to decide what is working better in certain areas because it's so versatile. Like some people, they want the leather bracelets and then some people only want the steel link, but that's just based on what's working for your store. And we do a lot of uh, geographical proposals for stores. So essentially we're going to take our best sellers out of that region and make sure that you guys are getting the best sellers for your store ah. based on what's working in a certain spot. You know, we don't just take our best sellers off of our website and then throw it into a proposal. We're looking at our stores that do really well that are within a state or, you know, 50 to 100 miles from you and, and work from there. Interesting. Yeah, I think that uh, I mentioned it earlier in probably in this episode with um, Stephen from Edge Retail Academy and how he's able to take uh, industry specific statistics. And I think you guys are doing uh, also with that with using region specific uh, data in this industry. I think that's definitely pretty accurate. But um, have you guys ever seen anyone like, I don't know about famous, but like, do you ever you know, watch something and, and, and see a piece of Inox on there? Or have you ever like kind of been able to call it out? You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say famous, but it is cool to, you know, like I travel a lot sure. uh, for my job. So I see a lot of different cities and stuff and I can see an Inox piece and, you know, notice that it's ours. Yeah. I don't necessarily know if it's a famous person just yet. Um, but I think Tommy met Johnny Damon, you know, the baseball player for yeah. the Red Sox legend. Right. He mentioned that he liked Inox. Um, no way. So it's, that's a cool little, you know, I'm a huge baseball fan, so it's really nice to hear somebody like that even knows who Inox is. So I don't know if we're necessarily, you know, famous, famous yet, but I think we're starting to get recognition in the industry because of our partners and people who truly like the brand. Nice. And also, I'll have you know, uh, Giant Damon also uh, won a <laughs> ring with uh, with the Yankees. He did. And also, I mean, I don't know if he ever won with the Red, did, did he win with the Red Sox? I think he, I think he was on the, I don't know if he was on, I don't know if he was on the team that came back Mm. against the Yankees. We don't know that one. Uh, While we're wrapping this thing up, um, Cole, if people want to learn a little bit more about Inox, we've had you guys on a couple of times. Where should they go? I mean, the website is um, is our is our uh, our baby right now. Um, mm. It has everything you need. Um, you can go there and see product updates. You can see your store um, on the store finder that we just uh, uploaded. Um, so you can go there and make sure you see everything you need. Obviously, you can reach out to me, Sebastian, or our new sales rep Rob. Um, he's up in the Northeast now. So we have uh, we're starting to expand and add you know people to the team to make it a little bit stronger. So there's there's a lot of options. Just reach out to us at you know I'm Cole at salesone.org or you can call him call me on my cell phone wherever um, you know. But the website is probably the best place uh, because you get you an entire Inox presentation, you know, without talking to somebody. Nice. So, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we're going to be uh, excited to have a couple couple cocktails on the roof with you a little, right. little bit later. And Absolutely. Get a to, I'm sure you'll, you know, enjoy getting a chance to speak with all the retailers that are here. I think it'll be really great. Yeah. Enjoy the beautiful uh, downtown Charlotte. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Cole, thank you so much. And uh, everybody, stay tuned. Bye. This next interview is with Justin from National Rarities. 
What's up, everybody? My name is Michael Burpo, and I'm joined by Justin from National Rarities. How are you doing today, Justin? Doing great. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, so we're uh, we're at the client workshop for Punchmark in Charlotte, North Carolina, and you're going to be presenting in just, uh, I guess, you know, a couple of hours, undisclosed amount of time. Um, what are you going to be presenting on? Really, we're here to talk about our buying events, what our buying events mean to the jeweler, uh, why they make sense and and how they can benefit off of partnering with us over a three-day period. It's a no-cost event for the jeweler. Uh, Really a limited amount of work for the jeweler as well because essentially we're going to handle all the media buy. We're going to typically run a full page ad in the newspaper. Oh, you even handle that? We handle all of it. Uh, So postcard mailers, social media, and we're getting into digital advertisement. So really a wide range of advertisement, television potentially in a lot of the markets too. So we might hit avenues that a store might not hit on a regular basis with their typical ad spend. Uh, Essentially, we're gonna drive foot traffic to the store, right? We're going to drive hopefully over 100 customers. Our average is 112. We're looking at increasing that year over year. Sure. Two years ago, we were at 84, 99 last year, and 112 this year. Wow, so you're so on the trajectory. Yeah, on, that's great. We're on the trajectory. Some of our events do well over 200. Wow. Uh, but all the benefits come together through all the little things during the event. Yeah. Right? We're there to put on a customer service event. We're there to help people identify what items are, what they have, give them an avenue to sell. You know, you guys are like antique roadshow just for the jewelry industry. You're exactly right. So (laughs) when when you think about it, people typically know where to sell diamonds and jewelry, right? Yeah. The, The jewelers are a great avenue for that. And one of the things we get all the time is we, we get people coming into a jewelry store, but we don't know where, we don't want to buy it. We don't want to buy designer handbags. Mm. We don't want to buy antique toys. We don't want to buy artwork, but we do. Oh, it's all rarities. those things, really? All those things. So, I thought it was just just like gold, just precious precious things. No, no. It's this wide range of items, wow. which gives us the avenue to not only provide the customer service event, but provide it for a wide range of people. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if they've been holding on to items and didn't know about that avenue to sell things, to put on an event within your store that provides that service is is not only going to generate revenue, but it's also going to put you front of mind as the jeweler that they want to come to next time. Yeah. It's also that I think that trust factor is just uh, I'm putting more and more stock into how important it is because, uh, you know, you need to trust like people need to trust the jeweler to handle their antique uh, watch or like ha- handle these items that are very precious to them. And then in return, they'll like pay you back in the future or hopefully in the future when they go to buy like their next you know major purchase. So I think that's a really substantial side effect of doing one of your guys' shows. How long of a lead up does it typically take before, you know, when you sign up to when you can actually execute the, uh, the event? So typically we're booking about 90 days out. Okay. Uh, that 90 day process is more for a licensing standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we abide by all local licensing, legal rules, all those types of things, holding times, whatever it may be. Uh, our legal department handles all of that. So that 90 days is really the minimum that we're looking at. Um, and then, you know, we can book out into 2024. We're already booking out into 2024 Holy at this smokes. point. So. Most of our partners do two to four events a year with us. Uh, we love to get that scheduled out for the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, not all of them do, but they they really work their other events around ours. If you start thinking about it from a standpoint of somebody's coming in, paying for all the advertisement, driving 100, 200 people through your doors, having a sales event two weeks after our event, because now you have all the four walls marketing. And, and they have all the money too. They, they, like the clients have money in their pocket. <laughs> exactly. And and when we talk about money in the pocket, uh, really that that possibility to convert the customers into come and see us into your customers is there. Mm-hmm. What our partners do to incentivize that is signing over the check for an in-store credit bonus. So ultimately, if we buy, you know, hundred dollars in artwork, whatever sure. it might be, they sign over the store for $120. 
building off of that to convert the people coming in to see us into your customers and just doing all the little things that a jeweler does, treating those customers like your customers, cleaning a ring, striking up a conversation, you know, important things like that. Uh, We we provide marketing data. So you're going to see the data from a standpoint of where they came in from, how many people came in off the newspaper, how many came off the television, postcard mailers. Maybe there's an avenue that you haven't been marketing that you can learn is hey, something to explore. This is very valuable kind of what, do you find that there's like a common one that like people have been sleeping on that when you guys hit it, it's actually substantial? So postcard mailers, I think everybody knows is is essentially going to be the best one and it's that crazy. continues yeah. to increase. We're getting smarter and smarter too with the way we attack our postcard mailers and we're seeing a benefit to it, uh, which is why we continue to see an increase in numbers. Depending on the market, the newspaper and television, although expensive, have been valuable for us. Mm. So it it really is a market to market situation as as you guys are well aware of on what are the best avenues to go down. Um, But I think from time to time, we we discount old media Mm -hmm. a little too quickly. Sure. Um, You know, when, when we're talking about who's the typical newspaper reader, right? Yeah. It's probably a baby boomer. They probably have a good deal of wealth built up. Fair, fair um, point, actually. So not only that, they also are the ones that are suggesting to their kids where to go get the, the engagement ring. So they're communicating to their kids and their grandkids on where they should shop as well. Ah. So, you know, some of it is difficult to put the entire ROI behind, mm-hmm. but... Ultimately, when you're getting your brand out there to a demographic that you know typically has a little bit more wealth built up, that is your newspaper reader. Um, and then, you know, television can be a little bit all across the board, depending on where you're targeting and, you know, what shows you're before or after. Yeah. So let's talk really quickly about the um, the products you're getting back. So um, it's built to me as you guys will buy anything of substantial value essentially back. Um, what does that typically kind of come in the form of? Is it, for me, I always thought it was like going to be like flatware and old antique, like, um, like I don't know why, but like a gold chain that is heavy. It's probably out of style. It's probably a little bit gaudy, but it's got a substantial amount of gold in it. Um, what does it actually come in the form of though, typically? Yes. I mean, all those things. Well, when you're talking about having 250 partners across the country, you have just a wide range of different variations of what you see more in different areas of the country. Uh Our events down in Texas, we see a ton of firearms. Uh, Firearms are optional. You know, not all of our partners do it, but uh, the partners that do do it, we see a lot of success because that's another avenue that a lot of people don't have to, to sell. Um, designer handbags, you get into areas like Alexandria, Virginia, and, you know, some little wealthier areas, you you start seeing a lot of those in those types of areas and not just last week's designer handbag, right? You're talking about maybe a vintage designer handbag from Louis Vuitton from 1975. Yeah. You see, ever see anything like pretty eye opening come through? Yeah. I, you, you see some interesting stuff. I, you know, we, we ultimately are there to provide the service and and we have a team of buyers over 40 buyers and they have a well-rounded knowledge base but we also have specialists in all these different kinds kinds of things so when you get into things like militaria you get into areas like charlotte north carolina where Mm -hmm. we are right we start talking about civil war items and those types of things swords and swords holy smokes that's so cool yeah yeah so uh, an event I was on not too long ago, um, we actually bought a samurai, Japanese samurai sword that was uh, about 200 years old. What? Yeah. What, what, is that, what does that go for? So I think that probably, if it hasn't sold, we were thinking it was going to go somewhere between 1000 and 2000 Wow, that is so cool. That's I, I always just thought it was just like people selling like silverware and stuff like that, but... You, you get that. And, you know, and as we know, people don't want sterling silver yeah. anymore and, and those types of things. But there's going to be a lot of jewelers out there that are listening to this podcast that are thinking, you know, 
Well, I buy a lot of gold and jewelry and I maybe even buy coins and sterling silver. Uh, but ultimately, our advertisement dollars going out into the community and saying yeah. that your store is buyers because your logo, your brand's featured on the advertisement. What our jewelers really like about us too is they see an influx in their own buying after we leave. Yeah. We're only there three days, Tuesday through Thursday or Monday through Wednesday, whatever works best for your store. And then after that, you're going to have people coming in. Hey, I saw your advertisement, but I couldn't get in on Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, is this something you're interested in? If the jewelry store is interested in it, that's part of their perk, right? Buy that item, put it in your store, do whatever you want with it. If the store's not interested in it, it's a long-term partnership with us. So they can always refer to us and still get that 10% commission check. But even more importantly, provide the service to the customer. Don't tell them no, give them an avenue to sell an item, which is building that rapport with your customer even more so. Wow. I think uh, this business has been so fascinating to me over the last, um, I don't even know how long, probably the last 10, 15 years, where there's this uh, rise of, um, it's almost like, I think that they're called ghost businesses. So for example, there's in, um, if you've ever heard of this YouTuber, his name is Mr. Beast. He's the number one YouTuber oh, yeah. and he has, uh, Beast Burgers is like his restaurant. And what's really interesting is that he doesn't actually open up restaurants. He is just, um, taking, he just operates a menu inside of a different fast food chain. So he might be located in, in like a Wendy's but he's selling his unique menu and with his branding, with his advertising inside of a different restaurant. And the restaurant is the one that fulfills it. Uh, the fast food chain usually um, is the one that f- fulfills it and then reaps like a very substantial amount of it. And I find it fascinating that it's uh, such a symbiotic relationship where one restaurant is um, making the money, increased awareness, and honestly, probably increased like attendance to their or um, traffic to their store. And then this other restaurant is, um, you know, succeeding by driving sales. It sounds relatively similar to what you guys have because you. I don't, correct me if I'm wrong. Do you guys have a store, a main storefront that you guys have to, um, you know, sell resell this jewelry out of, or is it basically in all of these jewelry stores that are your store locations? So it it is a decent comparison. The mm-hmm. only thing that I would say would separate us substantially from what a ghost kitchen looks like sure. is we're the ones that are going into the store and fulfilling the process, right? Ah, so yeah. we're putting the labor behind also what so we So you guys do. provide the labor too. Oh my right? gosh. So your, your typical first time event is going to be three buyers coming to your store, handling the traffic coming in, sitting down, handling the whole buying process, right? Mm-hmm. So the jeweler's focus needs to be what they focus on on a daily basis, ah. and that's sales. So converting those customers into sell, into somebody that's gonna buy items from their store. So ultimately, that's the big separation from what yeah. a ghost kitchen looks like is we actually have somebody there to, to fulfill the, the process of buying the items. Man. Uh, what it looks like on, on our end, we do not have some big storefront uh, that we're selling, buying items and those types of things. Really our main avenue and an important avenue, the, the owners, uh, Dennis McCaffrey and, and Lewis decided 14 years ago was to partner with Jewelry Store. Hmm. Having that symbiotic re- relationship where there's us benefiting and the Jewelry Store benefiting at the same time has seen our growth exponential compared to if we were the typical buyers out there that are going into hotels or doing all these types of things where they're taking money away from the jeweler. We're there to bring money to the jeweler uh, as well as benefiting ourselves. Man, what a cool option. And honestly, it just seems like a, just a novel way to shake it up for a, for a jewelry store. Um, I feel like, like one of the things I've noticed with, with our clients is that things, the years don't stop. Like next year is going to be another year of coming up with creative marketing ideas and strategies and adapting to technologies. And, and you have to just be creative all the time. And uh, I find it sometimes with, uh, with running this podcast, it's like, Oh, how am I going to like come up with another set of ideas? Whereas this one, it's just like, it almost, almost seems like a freebie. It's like, Hey, like, we're going to run this thing that we haven't run anything similar to it because we've heard so many like 
how many times can you run a trunk show? How many times can you run a guy's night or a lady's night or, um, you know, like a, there's a million of them, but it's like, you've probably done them all. So this seems like a great way to kind of shake it up and offer something new. Offer something new with no risk too, right? No risk. I know when you're putting on new events and doing different events or the same event, there's a lot of pressure Tons. ultimately on the owner of the store. How much advertisement dollars are we going to put behind it? You know, all these questions, how do I get my sales team behind it? All of these types of things that don't have to worry about when we come in and do an event because we're the ones handling that process. And ultimately, the jeweler can be confident that we're putting money into travel, sending people into the area, right? Flights, hotel yeah, rooms. You're invested. We're invested substantially from a labor standpoint. So knowing that we have to put enough out there advertisement featuring their name and their store to make this event successful for us there's the confidence that the event can be successful for them too. Man, what a really cool opportunity. And I'm so happy you guys are at the, at the workshop. Um, you guys are going to be presenting um, in, yeah, an undisclosed amount of time. And I think that this is like one of those unique things. Um, I ha- wasn't as familiar with you guys uh, a little while ago. And one of our clients had, a, had an event with you guys and um, they did so well. And it was you know all over the social media. And it was like a really cool thing because they were like, hey, look at this thing that someone brought in. Like, isn't this crazy? It was really good content. So um, I'm hoping that you guys find a couple of people that are interested and you know, have a really successful workshop. Yeah, I appreciate you having us. I, I know that this is just a great opportunity for us to to get with other jewelers, other vendors within, you know, the industry and and really just how do we benefit each other, right? I mean, that's what this workshop seems to be all about. It's yeah. it's how do we share ideas that we found successful and how do we lend those ideas to other stores and and really making each other more successful through each other. Yeah. So Justin, um, remind me, like if people are listening and are interested and want to hear more about uh, National Rarities, how should they get in touch with you? Absolutely. So I'm going to be that person. So you can email Justin, J-U-S-T-I-N at nationalrarities.com or feel free, text, uh, phone call 314-541-0757. We'd love to just set up a time. We'll really five, 10 minute phone call, talk about a little bit about how the event works, what options you want to do, the store credit bonus, 20 20%, 10%, 30%. 20%, 10%, 30%. Do you want us to purchase firearms? And then we'll have to look at location, what time of year works best uh, for you. And really, we can get things going on our end pretty quickly. Awesome. Justin, this is a really good one. I think that people will take that up. If, hey, if you do this, uh, mention it in the loop. Let them know that, that we sent you. Okay. Thanks, everybody. And we'll be back uh, next week, Tuesday. Cheers. All right, everybody. That's the end of the episode. Thanks so much for listening. This week's episode was brought to you by Punchmark and produced and hosted by Michael Burpo. My guest this week was National Rarities, Classic Grown Diamonds, Client Book, Inox Men's Jewelry, Edge Retail Academy. And if you're interested in any of them, uh, the information for them will be in the show notes below and you can reach out to them. Uh, this episode was edited by Paul Suarez and music by Ross Cockrum. Don't forget to leave the podcast a review and five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us feedback on punchmark.com loop. That's L-O-U-P-E. We'll be back next week, Tuesday with another episode. Thanks.